Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And it is the most wonderful time of the year. Halloween is behind us. And if you think I'm talking about Christmas, you're crazy, even though I do love Christmas. I am talking about the best week of the year. It is Gator Hate Week here on A View from the Couch. And that is what it's going to be about pretty much all week. On Thursday, when we have our preview of the Georgia-Florida game, we talk about enemies. And if you are a Georgia fan, there is no greater enemy than the Florida Gators. And this week, the dogs head to Jacksonville to take on the Gators. And it's Gator Hate Week here on the podcast. So today, we're going to just stick to, for the most part, only college football today. And a majority of the podcast today is going to be all about the dogs and the Gators. So we will start from the Georgia perspective. And... The first thing I think I think this week is that the injury bug has bitten Georgia at the absolute worst possible time as it possibly could. Georgia faces a litany of injuries heading into this game with a lot of conjecture being thrown about about who will be available and who will not be available. I waited to record the podcast later in the day today on Monday to ensure that I could listen to Kirby Smart's press conference to try to get as much information in the podcast as I possibly could. It is a definite right now that Julian Rochester and Richard LeCount will both miss the Florida game coming up this weekend. Julian Rochester has torn his ACL, and uh, he could end up being done. I mean, he's definitely done for the year, but this might be the last time that he plays. He was already back for a fifth year. Now, this year is uh, it does not count because the NCAA ruled that no matter how much you played this year, eligibility would not count against players. So it will be interesting to see what Rochester decides to do, if he will come back rehab and try to return in 2021. Uh, but for Richard LeCount, who, of course, anybody playing this year, I'll just go ahead and say they could be back next year. LeCount is the leader of the defense. He was just named earlier today the SEC Defensive Player of the Week. And he is out at least for a few weeks. He could very well be out for the rest of the season. Honestly, Kirby didn't even come close to trying to say how long that they think Richard will be out. If you have not heard, uh, he was in a motorcycle accident here in Athens on Saturday night after the team got back into town uh, from Kentucky. Uh, he was riding a motorcycle on one of the local roads. Someone turned in front of him. Uh, there is no indication at this point that LeCount was doing anything bad. He did have a helmet on, but he hit one car, and then on his motorcycle, he was basically struck by another car. Uh, he was in the ICU until this morning when he has been moved into just a regular room, but he is still in the hospital at this point, and from all indications and all reports, it's he's lucky uh, to be alive. At this point, he has some broken ribs and a concussion, and so how long he is out if he decides to come back after this as a, as a draft eligible guy uh he may just decide that he's done for the year and he's going to get ready for the draft and get better uh but definitely wish all the best to Richard LeCount on the field obviously which is very much not important compared to you know, the situation that LeCount's dealing with but on the field it hurts the dogs uh LeCount is definitely the defensive leader um in the secondary there's already issues with the Georgia secondary, even when LeCount is healthy. And now uh, going up against a high-powered Gator offense, you're going to have to deal with 
a lot of guys, at least two guys, when you talk about Rochester and LeCount missing time. Now, I had written down that Jordan Davis was also going to be out for this game because that was the early report that he had actually broken his elbow, uh, which sounds like, I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound like one of the worst possible things that could ever break? Um, I mean, breaking bones is never a good thing, but I don't know. There was something about hearing a broken elbow that just gave me just a a cringe kind of feeling. Um, During the press conference today, Kirby kind of bat, push back on that. He said that Davis was day-to-day, that they were going to get him a brace. He wasn't sure that he was going to be able to play. He did not confirm whether or not it was an actual broken elbow or if it was some kind of other. He did acknowledge it was an elbow injury, but he did not uh, confirm that it was broken. But he said that there was at least a chance that Davis could play this weekend. That would be very, very important because the depth across the defensive line is one of the places that Georgia really excels. And losing Rochester, for sure, and Davis maybe, would put a very significant dent in that depth. And when you're going up against an offense like Florida, you want to have as much depth across that defensive line to to get as much push and as much uh, pass rush as you possibly can. And the way Georgia typically does that is by substituting a lot. Now, Obviously, there's still a lot of guys that can substitute uh, at the linebacker position, but Georgia, when you lose two of your top three or four, you know, defensive linemen, it's going to have an effect. So it doesn't mean there's not talented guys that are going to get snaps behind those guys. But if Rochester and Davis both miss this game, it is going to be an issue for Georgia. Now, outside of those guys, and obviously Davis got moved from the definitely out to the we'll see category, at this point, I still don't think he'll play. I think Kirby's being optimistic. Um, I just don't I don't think he'll play. Um, but there's a long list of guys, and most of them on the defensive side of the ball, that are uh, questionable, I guess is the best way you can say. Lewisine, Quay Walker. Tyreek Stevenson, all three of those guys, questionable going into the next game. They picked up injuries against Kentucky. And then on offense, Ben Cleveland apparently has some kind of issue with his neck that caused him to leave the game against Kentucky. And it's a question about whether or not he'll be either fully ready to go or play at all against Florida. In addition to Kenny McIntosh and George Pickens, who missed the Kentucky game, um, there's a lot of injuries right now on this team. Um, I think I was prepared to kind of come into this week with the mindset that Georgia, despite what we see on the field, off the field, everywhere, you know, Georgia's got more talent and they still do have more talent than Florida. But these injuries have really changed that calculus a little bit. And it's hard to tell how much more talent they have. Now, as the week progresses, hopefully by the time we get to Thursday in the college football preview episode of the podcast this week, we'll have a better idea of who's going to play and who's not going to play. It's early Uh, obviously in the week. So it's a lot of conjecture right now. But I think it's obvious that the offense struggled against Kentucky. It was bland and it was vanilla. But George Pickens, Kenny McIntosh, these guys need to be out there against Florida because Georgia's going to have to score a little bit to beat this Florida team. I don't think it's exactly like it was against Alabama. I don't think Georgia's going to have to score 40-plus points to win this game. But they're going to have to score more than 14. And as well as Georgia ran the ball, it's just a tough way to be one-dimensional and and try to win. Now, I think they'll be able to run the ball against Florida. I think they'll be effective running the ball. But if your offense consistently has to put together 10, 12, 14-play drives to score and the other guys can hit 
big play after big play after big play in the passing game, that's going to take a mental toll, and it's just something that Georgia really cannot expect to be able to do if they want to beat Florida. Even with everybody healthy, this would have been a very tough game. And without everybody healthy, you know, the line for this game actually opened uh, with Florida as the favorite. It quickly changed because a lot of people jumped all over that. So um, I'm not even sure where it is now, but I saw that just yesterday. The line came out on Sunday morning, and by Sunday afternoon, you know, Florida was a two-point favorite to open or a three-point favorite to open, and now Georgia is a favorite of some kind, uh, and the line keeps moving a lot. And I would expect it would continue to move a lot based on uh, what we see out of these injuries. But this is going to be a very difficult game. Georgia is uh, – they have a tough matchup in Florida. And I'll be honest with you, there's only one thing that gives me any kind of hope or confidence at this point headed into this weekend but that's number two on the list of things I think I think. So quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the reason for hope for this week. So you may be wondering yourself, what is there to feel optimistic about? And I'll be honest with you, it's not much. It's not much. Florida looked really good in their game against Missouri on Friday or Saturday night. Uh, I tried to watch the whole thing. It got a little out of hand at the end, and so uh, I can't say that I finished the game. But Florida's offense looked very good. Florida's defense looked a lot better than it had previously. It was the first time the Gators had played in three weeks after uh, a couple of games. Well, I guess one game with LSU being rescheduled and uh, the other game, the Missouri game being uh, delayed a week. But Florida looked good, and Georgia, of course, did not look very good. And so, you know, offensively, Georgia was as bland as bland could be. Defensively, they were fine. But even that, I mean, Kentucky ran the ball pretty well. So so what, what could make anybody feel optimistic with Florida essentially playing their best game of the year and Georgia playing, I don't know about the worst game of the year, but definitely the most uninspiring game of the year. So there's one reason for optimism for Georgia fans, and that is because Dan Mullen, head coach of the Florida Gators, is a complete and total clown, a complete and total clown. Let's talk about it for a second. Just in the last month, okay, this is not, we, you know, we, we could go back and we could find other idiotic things that Mullen has done and said just in his time at Florida, which is this is his third season now, but just in the last month. He asked after after Florida lost to Texas A&M on the road. Uh, Mullen said that the crowd there at Kyle, Kyle Field, which was the 20 to 25 percent number that all SEC schools are able to have, Mullen said that the crowd was bigger than that and that the crowd made a big difference. And Florida needed a, a full house, 88,000, when LSU came to uh, to Gainesville the following week. Which was a clown thing to say. One, you know, we are all dealing with this pandemic. And whether or not it affects you the same way that it might affect somebody else, you know, it's completely insensitive to just kind of throw it out like eh, it's not that big of a deal. OK, you know, nobody in my family has gotten it. Thank the Lord. But people are dying from this virus. And so whether or not Dan Mullen felt like 
he was at risk or his players were at risk or however you feel about young people and kind of what our activities should be or any of that stuff, just to show how insensitive he was and how much he wanted to basically deflect from the fact that his team did not play uh, good at all against Texas A&M and lost a football game. And then all of a sudden, you know, public health doesn't matter. It's all about having a crowd advantage to play LSU. Well, he makes that statement after the game against A&M on Saturday evening. By that next week, the LSU game is postponed because there's an outbreak at Florida that included Mullen himself. And I'm not making fun of him for getting COVID. It's just the fact that for him to come out and say, oh, you know, we shouldn't be. I don't know that he actually said they shouldn't be worried about the virus, but for him to imply that having a packed crowd against LSU was way more important than any potential spread of the virus. And then his, you know, a a fair amount of his players got it the following week. He himself contracted it. Everybody got better, which is, I mean, I think for most uh, athletes, what we're seeing is guys that test positive, they do get better. It's not life-threatening for most of these players, it doesn't seem at this point. So, but he had an outbreak, and that game that he thought they needed to pack the house for ends up getting postponed uh, until December 12th. Now, following that, you would think he could show some contrition and came out and say, hey, you know, maybe I was a little more flippant about this than I should have been. No, the clown doubled down on his clownness and said that, and he refused to apologize or backtrack about feeling like it would have been okay to have 88,000 people stuffed into the swamp during the middle of a pandemic, which just shows a complete, not, not only a level of idiocy, no, again, no matter what you think, but his team had just dealt with a virus outbreak, and yet he still thinks it's a good idea to put that many people in there. You know, while his players got better, while he got better, I don't think it's a given that if you could put 88,000 people in the swamp that every single one of them would get better. You know, I know that a lot of people are making the argument that the number of people dying, the percentage of people who contract the virus that die is very low, but I think we could all agree for a football game, nobody should have to die. And so from from what I've been able to research and hear, you know, the 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 rules that the SEC has put in place and that many other conferences, I think the ACC and um, they have a, a similar deal, Big 12 as well. You know, these partial crowds have not been super spreader events, which means that the, the schools are handling it very well. They've come up with a formula. They've come up with a way to still allow fans in the stands to still maintain some semblance of an atmosphere at games while not putting people at high risk. And the fact that Dan Mullen just completely refused to like, backtrack at all or apologize for being so flippant about the fact that it's not a big deal if we put so many people in here no matter the fact that my team just went through this outbreak just shows that he's an egotistical clown not just a clown but an egotistical clown and then we had the debacle that was this past saturday night and the incident that happened on the field um against missouri so if you did not see it, you, you have to go look at the video. I cannot with words explain to you everything that happened. But essentially, there was a Hail Mary play on the last play of the first half where Kyle Trask, the quarterback for Florida, drops back, try to throw one deep. Um, he releases the ball, and the Missouri player comes in and just cold clocks him. And, and in all honesty, I'm not 100% sure how it wasn't reviewed for targeting um, and that it wasn't established that it was targeting and the player that 
put the hit on Trask. Whether or not it was late, uh, I mean, it was definitely late, but whether or not it was dirty, uh, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's so hard for that. But I think that's where the targeting rule has helped a lot that, that you know, it can be targeting and you're, there's no implication that you're trying to hurt anybody, but it was a dangerous play. So I think that's where you could definitely land and say that the hit on Trask, whether it was dirty, whether, you know, you whether it was target, it was dangerous. And so as the teams are coming off of the field, following the hell, the unsuccessful Hail Mary, um, there's a brawl that breaks out. And Dan Mullen runs onto the field. He starts screaming first at Missouri players and then at a couple of the coaches to the point to where he is being physically held back by one of his assistant coaches as he tries to go towards one of the Missouri assistant coaches. Meanwhile, to his immediate right, and if you watch the video, you'll see this, he's out there acting like a fool, and there's a brawl breaking out between his team and Missouri just 10, 15 yards away from him. It escalates many, many people through punches for both teams. It was very ugly, and it lasted a lot longer. This wasn't one of those pre-games, the teams are jawing each other, and there's a little pushing and shoving. This was ugly, and it honestly could have been so much worse had the players not or the, the referees not gotten everything calmed down and gotten the players into the locker room. But even with that, it still lasted around a minute to a minute and a half of guys just pushing and shoving. Many, many guys with punches thrown. Three players ended up being ejected, two Florida Gators and one Missouri Tiger. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but it was not a pretty scene. And for him, Mullen, to be so much a part of what escalated it you know he wasn't out there trying to calm everybody down eventually he was but before all of that happened while it was escalating he himself was being physically restrained by an assistant coach as if he was going to do something to the Missouri uh, assistant that was yelling back at him now you may think that he would have been contrite after all of this but when they finally got the players into the locker room, the, the, the white hat, the, the head referee for the game, got the two uh, coaches together and he was talking to them on the field. The coaches, they, I saw some people say they shook hands. It was more kind of like a kind of like a good game, you know, kind of thing. But Mullen, he extends his hand and then he starts pointing and he, you know, pointing to the field. He's basically saying, hey, sorry, all that happened, but it was all your fault and everything else. They talk to the ref. The ref sends him to the locker room. Mullen starts walking in the locker room. Then he walks back out and pumps up the crowd WWE style to try to get everybody fired up as if, you know, Florida had been done so wrong in the situation. Now, his team responded. They came out and wiped the floor. They were already playing way better than Missouri in the first half. They ended up killing Missouri, playing their, I mean, Florida, honest to goodness, played their best game of the year. And so you would think that that maybe he comes back now and he kind of settles things down. And uh, No, I'm going to say this, and you're going to think I'm joking. He dressed as Darth Vader for his post-game interview um, or press conference. So, again, this is just something you have to see. And when I say he dressed for, as Darth Vader, no, I'm not just talking about a mask. Yes, I understand it was Halloween, and some people might think that it was entertaining or that it was fun, but given the context of everything else that was going on, you know, he obviously planned on doing this before there was a brawl. But at the point that there is a brawl 
at halftime when you yourself are out there yelling and screaming and having be having to be physically restrained you think maybe hey maybe i don't put on a kid's costume for my press conference nah he's like yeah screw it i've already got a plan i'm gonna go ahead and go through with it so he sits there answering questions not just in a mask but in the whole darth vader deal um just a complete and total clown add to the fact that all of that was during the press conference, he tries to explain that, yeah, I went on the field to, to break up the fight. I didn't even know what happened. A couple of our players said that Trask got hit late, and I was just going out there to break everything up. It's just a lie. And, I mean, I, I, I guess we're all, you know, kind of conditioned to the fact that coaches don't tell us the truth. But to me, it's a lot different when you have a coach that's out there saying, yeah, I don't know if, you know, number 33 is going to play this week. Uh, he banged up his knee. Well, he tore his ACL, but I don't have to tell you that. But I, I, I'm going to kind of stretch the truth there. I do think it's different when somebody lies about what they were doing and what their intentions were. Uh, maybe it's just because it's Mullen and because it's Florida. But it just seemed to me to be not only ob an obvious lie that anybody who saw him knows that was not what he was doing at any point. He he did not go on to the field to break up the fight. When he went on to the field... He was a part of the fight, and then eventually he tried to break up the fight. But he, I think, it could be said, was the main escalating factor. Because I think had the players gone out there and started jawing at each other, and had the coaches immediately gotten out there to de-escalate the situation, you might have seen no one get kicked out of this game. And, and a couple of his players end up are going to end up missing time against Georgia. But... Mullen, instead of de-escalating the situation, I think was probably one of the main contributing factors is he's out there acting like a fool and causing things to get even more riled up. So it, it's just absolutely insane to me that he would make these choices. I mean, the comment about being having a full stadium was stupid. You know, to have everything happen as it did in Florida, you know, Georgia fans should be just a, a little bit upset, too. You know, Georgia was supposed to have the week off before the Florida game. They're, they had to move things around. It was all because of Florida's positive COVID test. Now, I'm not faulting them. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. But when you have a coach that's out here saying we need to put everybody in the stands and his team has an outbreak the next week, I think it's okay to assume that maybe they weren't doing everything or being as careful as they possibly could. And maybe that comes from a lack of leadership on his part of treating the virus as, as big a deal as it obviously is. So multiple teams had their schedules messed with because this guy couldn't get his program in order. Now the NCAA came out months ago and said that um, to ensure that all players have the opportunity to vote in tomorrow's election, there would be no practices or mandatory activities allowed on election day. So Mullen, you know, because he's a clown, has also come out and said that that's just a shame. It, it, it's a shame that, you know, the, the, that they have to take time out and they, they can't do their normal practice, have their normal week because of something like the election. You know, his players are going to vote, but they should still be able to have practice. Just a complete and total clown. And he's a clown that uh, has $25,000 less today than he did. Because uh, right before I started this segment, I, I, I tried to find out. I expected there to be additional suspensions. Um, there were three players, two of them for Florida, that got kicked out of the game, Zach Carter and Antoine Powell. Um, 
One was a starter. One is uh, kind of a backup kind of guy. But they both got kicked out of the game, and it was after halftime. So they will both miss the first half against Georgia this weekend. And Mullen was fined $25,000 for his role uh, in the incident. Um, I'll go ahead and just say it. It is Florida. I do hate them. But the SEC is a joke when it comes to penalties because these guys, more players for both teams should be suspended. Um, and $25,000 is what Lane Kiffin had to pay last week for criticizing the officials. And to me, what Mullen did was far worse than just saying, hey, the, the officials messed up a call that the SEC came out and said, yeah, he was right, but we're finding him $25,000 because he – said so. Um, so I think this is just an embarrassing situation for the SEC. I think it's an embarrassing situation for Florida. I think it's an embarrassing situation for Missouri. I don't want to pretend like it's all Florida's fault here. It was a late hit on Trask. Um, tempers were obviously running high. It was not a good look for anybody, but for the SEC not to take any further action uh, after reviewing the tape and seeing all the guys that threw punches, just kind of ridiculous to me. And to try to you know, find a coach the same amount for this kind of situation as criticizing officials on a play that the officials actually got wrong. It's not a good look for the SEC. I know there's a lot of Georgia fans, and I will count myself among them, that are very frustrated after Saturday. Um, frustrated with the offensive production, frustrated about the rhetoric surrounding the offense, and my God, this has now been a couple of years of this same thing. If you think back to last year's Kentucky game, which was the last game before Georgia played Florida last year, um, you know, it was that night that it was raining so hard in Sanford Stadium. And Georgia ended up winning the game 21 to nothing, which you think that sounds good, but it was 0-0 at halftime, and the offense was just bland and vanilla and all of that. And I, it, it's as low as I've been during the Kirby Smart era. And I don't, I won't pretend like I got that low on Saturday, but man, it was hard to watch. And it, it's getting very hard to watch, and it's getting very hard to hear that there are not other answers offensively. And maybe, you know, some fans out there will, will tell you that Kirby's playing chess while the rest of the league's playing checkers, and he didn't want to show anything to Kentucky and blah, blah, blah. Okay, if that's the case, we better see something different this week because this is it. This is it. After this game, you've got. South Carolina, Mississippi State, you've got Missouri, and you've got Vanderbilt. There's absolutely nobody left on this schedule after the Florida game. So it should really cause Georgia a whole lot of heartache. Now, it's SEC games. I'm not saying that Georgia's going to win every single game by four touchdowns, but Georgia is significantly better than every other team that's going to play. Injuries, no injuries, better, just easily better. So, this should be the last really big game until what could be a possible SEC championship game rematch with Alabama. So it should all hang out. We should see Georgia's best offensive performance. But if you're like me, at this point, I don't know that I buy the idea that they were bland because they didn't want to show Florida anything. I think they were bland because we're bland. I think what Stetson Bennett is able to do is limited, and I think defensive have kind of figured him out a little bit. Now, I still contest that there's not a magical answer on the bench in the form of Dwan Mathis or JT Daniels or Beck or anybody else. And that's where my def where people might think over the last few weeks I've been defending 
uh, Kirby or Bennett. It's more about the fact that the argument or the idea that Kirby is purposefully not playing somebody who is a better player. But I think you can you can have it both ways in this situation. You can come to the conclusion that the offense is not as good as it needs to be and that Kirby's playing the best guy. And if that's the case, then that is a very sad place to be. I, I wish JT Daniels was a Heisman Trophy winner sitting on the bench because at some point he's going to get in the game and we're going to see all of that. At this point, the much more sobering thought and the much more depressing thought for Georgia fans is, no, this is the best guy, period. This is it. This is the best we have for this year. And then your hope then turns to next year and a guy that's playing at Prince Avenue Christian this year. And that's single A private, the lowest classification in the state of Georgia. That's the competition he's playing now. And we're going to expect him to come in and be our savior in August of 2021. That's the sobering reality. But as frustrated as I am with Kirby, as frustrated as I am with this offense, as frustrated as I am with all of it, we don't have a clown for a head coach. And that's what Dan Mullen is. And in case you are wondering, in case you haven't seen this, the proper spelling for Mullen is M-U-L-L-L-E-N. And the reason there's three L's in Mullen is because three losses in the last three seasons for Mullen against Kirby Smart. Hopefully, the dogs will add yet a fourth L to the spelling of Mullen. 2017, when he was the coach of Mississippi State, a a Mississippi State team that was ranked came into Athens and got absolutely slapped around 31-3. to The last two years as the head coach of Florida 2018, Georgia beats Florida 36 to 17. And then last year in 2019, Georgia beats Florida 24-17. So Mullen has yet to beat Kirby Smart as a offensive coordinator or as uh, when Kirby was the defense coordinator at Alabama and as a head coach. So uh, that's the reason for optimism this week. And it's got very little to do with Georgia and a lot more to do with the fact that Dan Mullen, I think, is the biggest clown in college football, and that is saying something. Well, the last thing I think I think today, we're going to move around the country a little bit, move away from Jacksonville just for a few moments, and talk about a few of the different storylines that are going on around the, the world of college football. And we'll start with the number one team in the country, Clemson. No Lawrence, no problem was the story from this past weekend. Uh, well, at least that's the way it ended. Uh, I'm not going to try to say I'm going to learn this week uh, between now and Thursday's podcast. I'm going to learn how to say the freshman quarterback from Clemson's name, but I can't pretend like I'm there right now. So for right now, we're just calling DJ. DJ played really, really well uh, against Boston College, but Boston College Made a lot of things happen in the first half. Had an 18-point lead over Clemson at one point in Death Valley, but the Tigers come back, beat Boston College, and now they are set up to play Notre Dame this Saturday night. Um, that is the marquee game of the week. Two top five games this week. You got Clemson and Notre Dame. You got Georgia and Florida. You should be able to go right from the Georgia Florida game into the Clemson Notre Dame game. It's gonna be a great, great Saturday afternoon of college football. We'll talk about all that in the run or in the uh, this week's viewing guide on Thursday's podcast, but. 
for Clemson, you're in a pretty good position because I think most people that have watched Clemson play this year know that they are one of the best teams in the country. So if you go out with a backup quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, of course, if you have not heard, is out. He tested positive for COVID at the end of uh, this past week. There was some discussion whether or not that positive test had happened on Wednesday or Thursday, and the difference in that would have been whether or not he was eligible for the Notre Dame game. After the game on Saturday, uh, Dabo Sweeney, head coach of Clemson, came out and said that Lawrence would miss the Notre Dame game. So where we are right now is the number one team in the nation is going on the road to play at Notre Dame, and they're going to be starting their backup quarterback. And as bad as all of that sounds, one, DJ is really, really good. And, I mean, this is coming off of the segment where I was talking about the frustration with Georgia's offense. I'd take DJ tomorrow here in Athens. But the other thing is this. If Clemson were to lose to Notre Dame, one, I think it would be a competitive game, so they're not getting beat by three or four touchdowns or anything like that. But even if they did, you don't have the starting quarterback, the consensus number one pick in the next year's NFL draft, and the front runner for the Heisman, uh, he wasn't on the field. So the way the ACC is set up this year, the top two teams are going to end up playing for the ACC title anyway at this point it would be logical that Clemson would end up playing Notre Dame again, probably with Lawrence would have an opportunity to win that game and still go to the playoff. So there's things about seeding and all of that kind of stuff, and I am one that thinks that that does matter. I do think it will be hard, just like last year. LSU was the best team, but if LSU had to play Ohio State and then turn around and play Clemson, I'm not sure that Clemson doesn't beat LSU. Uh, instead, Clemson had to play Ohio State and then turn around a week later and play uh, LSU, and the Tigers won that game. So my point is being the number one seed is going to matter, and whether or not Clemson's number one right now, they definitely wouldn't be uh, if Ohio State and Alabama run the table as most people expect them to do. You know, you would have to think at that point probably Alabama's one, Ohio State's two, Clemson would probably be three, and then who knows who would be four, potentially Notre Dame, honestly. Um, We're a long way away from that. But I think seeding matters, so I, I won't say that there's nothing to lose for Clemson, but as far as their playoff hopes, go. I I don't think this is a, a must win for Clemson. I think especially without Lawrence, Clemson could lose this game, avenge that loss in the ACC title game, and still make the playoff. And I don't really think a whole lot of people would complain about that. Now, the reason Notre Dame could end up sliding in there and getting, you know, uh, the fourth spot or why a second SEC team could get a, a spot in the playoff is because Oklahoma State, The last hope for the Big 12 lost this weekend to Texas, and Oklahoma State still has a few contested games on their uh, schedule coming up. They still have to play Oklahoma, and then they have to turn around and play somebody in the Big 12 title game that they will have either already won or lost to, but they'll have to play most likely uh, Texas or Oklahoma again. So the Big 12, we have talked about it consistently on the podcast The way they have things set up in a normal year shows that they hate themselves, and this year is no different. Oklahoma State gave the game away against Texas. If you watch that one, I kind of watched it. We had other things going on, but I was trying to kind of keep an eye on it. Just an absolute mess. they, They just bad play after bad play at the end of that game to let Texas back in, eventually losing in overtime. And at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say bye-bye Big 12. I I don't see how a Big 12 team is going to make the playoff at this point. 
Now, when we move to the Big Ten, what we realize is you have Ohio State, who is one of the best teams in the country, I would say easily in the top three. I think at this point it would be an absolute shock if they don't make the playoff, even after they only played two games this year. Uh, but the Big Ten turns out to be Ohio State and then a bunch of bums. And for anybody that's criticized the ACC over the last couple of years, this is you, – you can't criticize the ACC for being such a weak conference, criticize Clemson for not having to play anybody, and then be okay with the fact that Ohio State is in that exact situation right now. <laughs> And the teams that were supposed to be good in the Big Ten have just shown themselves to not be. Michigan, who everybody got so excited. And I told you there was a good chance that Michigan would be Auburn. One game, everybody goes crazy, tells you how great they are, and then they turn around and they underwhelm against Michigan State. Now, I wasn't bold enough to say that Michigan State was going to go into Ann Arbor and beat Michigan, but that's exactly what they did as a 25-point underdog. Michigan State went into Ann Arbor, beat Michigan. And now, who's the second-best team in the Big Ten? I have a theory. We'll get to that in just a minute. But Michigan, after a, a win over Minnesota that everybody thought was really impressive, well, Minnesota went on the road and lost to Maryland. They are 0-2 in the Big Ten now. Uh, and another team that's 0-2 is Penn State, who just never seemed threatening. If you see the final score of the Penn State-Ohio State game, it's 38-25. to It's like, oh, that's a pretty competitive game. No, it wasn't. It wasn't competitive. I don't know how that ended up being the final score, but at no point in that game did you think that Penn State was going to actually win. No point. Not from the first snap of the game. So the score in that game was not indicative of the actual game itself. You know, maybe the second best team in the Big Ten is Wisconsin, but we may not know, and we may it, it, it may not matter. Because at this point, Wisconsin missed their game this past week because of a COVID outbreak. Um, they have more players and staff. Uh, Barry Alvarez, their AD and former coach, said that there were more players that had tested positive over the weekend. Their game against Purdue, is, as of right now, is on, but I think most people expect that game to get canceled, which means Wisconsin, after looking really, really good in the first game of the season, last not last Friday night, but the Friday night before against uh, Illinois, Wisconsin's not playing now, and they're right up against whether or not they're going to be able to come in and actually qualify for the Big 12 or the Big Ten championship game out of the West. So the Big Ten originally said that to be eligible for the championship game, you would have to at least play six games. So if Wisconsin ends up missing two of the first three games of the season, there is zero room for error now. And Wisconsin may or may not be able to even make it into the title game. Which brings us back to the question of, well, who's the second best team in the Big, the Big Ten? And I think the, question, the answer to that question may be Indiana. Indiana is at home this weekend after beating two, uh, last weekend, beating Penn State, they host Michigan, and if Indiana beats Michigan, they are two things are going to be true. They're going to be three and zero in the Big Ten. They're probably going to be the second ranked, the second best team in the Big Ten, and they may be ranked in the top ten by the end of this weekend. Uh, and all of that is to just say, there's not much going on in the Big Ten. And so, for as good as Ohio State looks, and as good as Ohio State seems. I don't know that we can feel so comfortable about that because they're not playing anybody because the teams in the Big Ten, they just, I mean, what you, maybe it's because they had such a long layoff with COVID. Maybe it could be a hundred different things. 
But the reality is the Big Ten is not very good this year, and Ohio State seems to be good, but how do we really know? And the last thing is we look around the country, and you, you may not even realize that they haven't been playing, and you may not care at all that they're back, but the, the Pac-12 comes back this weekend. Um, the reason you may not care or know is because there's only two teams currently in the top 25 uh, from the Pac-12, number 20 USC will play host to Arizona State this weekend. Uh, it is interesting that this game is kicking off at noon Eastern, which if you know anything about time zones, that means that that game is kicking off at 9 a.m. local from the Coliseum. There are no fans there, so you don't have to worry about not being able to tailgate, uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Uh, 9 a.m. kickoffs is something that the Pac-12's talked about the last few years trying to get more East Coast and kind of Middle America viewers uh, for their games. There's so many of those Pac-12 games that they don't end until 1 a.m., and it's hard for most people on the East Coast to stay up and watch that much football on a single day. So the experiment has finally happened. It'll be interesting to see not just kind of the level of play there, but USC as one of the two ranked teams to see what they actually are. Um, the other team is Oregon. They're ranked 12th right now. They're going on the road to play at Stanford. Um, that game's going to be on 7.30 on Saturday night. We'll cover all of that on the viewing guide this week, but Oregon may be the, the fly in the ointment at this point. Now, we'll see as the season progresses. Um, I'm, I'm not going to judge beforehand. It's going to be hard for me to see either one of those teams, even if they go undefeated, earning a spot in the playoff, but I guess it depends on if you're talking about a two-loss team from the SEC or the ACC getting into the playoff or an undefeated Pac-12 champion that only played seven games. It's a conversation. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if there are any uh, significant delays or significant games missed uh, because the Pac-12, even more so than the Big Ten, has left themselves zero room for any kind of rescheduling options or anything like that. So I think you'd have to see a combination of some losses in other places around the country, you'd have to see no the team from the Pac-12 run the table and be undefeated, and you'd have to see that team play all of its games, because I don't think there's any way a six or a seven game season is going to uh, qualify somebody for the playoff. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, as, as I said, with the Big Ten returning, you know, despite the fact that I really am frustrated about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the way they've handled this entire situation, um, at least it's more football. So from a just strictly fan standpoint, bring on more football. Give us more football, especially if it's, you know, this past Saturday night to me was the most disappointing um, Saturday of football because you had a few different games on Saturday night that I thought had the potential to be interesting. Um, when you talk about Penn State, Ohio State, for me, Texas A&M and Arkansas, I thought that had the potential to be interesting. And then you talk about Florida and Missouri. None of those games were any good. They all sucked. And so it was really disappointing to try to find something that was interesting. And it was just three blowouts. So more football, more chances for good games. And from a fan standpoint, that's good. Um, but it will be interesting to see if the Pac-12 has any team that can factor in this year, given all of the things that are going on there.
on today's podcast with a little information that may be either a complete fact or fiction by the time you hear the podcast. There are rumors going around the message boards today that Dewan Mathis, who started the opening game of this 2020 season against Arkansas uh, before being replaced by Stetson Bennett at halftime, or before the second half, actually, um, there's rumors that Dewan Mathis may be entering the transfer portal today as of time of recording this. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon on uh, Monday afternoon at this point, Mathis has not put his name in the transfer portal, but just some conjecture that was thrown around based on some information. Mathis took all uh, references to the University of Georgia off of his Instagram account and apparently his Twitter account as well. Um, Roddy Nabolsi, uh, one of the insiders that uh, I trust the most when it comes to Georgia football, uh, asked Kirby Smart at the very end of his press conference today uh, if he had talked to Mathis recently and, and kind of pushed a little bit about his status. Kirby said that he had talked to Dewan yesterday. Um, I can't remember if he said before or after practice. They, they practice on Sunday because they're not going to be able to practice tomorrow uh, due to the rule that I talked about earlier in the podcast today about no practice, our mandatory activities on election day. Um, and Kirby simply just said that he did talk to Dewan, but, and that Dewan wants to play. Dewan wants to play and that that's what they talked about. Um, Kirby really didn't give any more information than that, but expected him to be, Kirby expected Mathis to be at practice today. Uh, if Mathis is at practice today, then I think we can pretty much, at least for this week, put to bed any kind of rumors, uh, that Dewan may be transferring, but I would not be surprised if that's the case. I mean, if you just read the tea leaves, if, if Stetson's the guy for the rest of this year, and it seems that they are pretty locked in on that at this point, um, whether you agree or disagree with that, that seems to be the situation. you still got Carson Beck, who was recruited last year, a four-star guy who hasn't seen the field yet. And you've got five-star Brock Vandergriff, uh, who will be joining the team in January. So if you're Dewan Mathis, you're not playing already and there's going to be another quarterback added to that quarterback room I would be very surprised if we didn't see some transfers out of that quarterback room whether it's uh at this point I think you you may see Mathis and possibly Daniel if he doesn't play at all this year um I wouldn't be shocked, but that's something to keep an eye out on, something I've seen. Just wanted to pass it along as I close out the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back on Thursday with a college football preview episode that will center all around the big game in Jacksonville this weekend, and then we'll tack on the viewing guide as if we don't already know what we're going to spend our time watching this weekend. But just for fun and consistency's sake, that is what we will do. If there's any breaking news, you can check out my Facebook page, A View From The Couch, uh, on Facebook. If you just look for that, you'll be able to find the page. I've been trying to use that for any kind of breaking information and all that since I don't want to record a podcast every single day to update everybody on what's going on, but you can find uh, as much as I know you can find there. So thank you again for listening. I hope you have a great day and as always, go dogs.